Blog Talk Radio. Child Abuse Now show. This is scan number 3210, 3,210. Um, tonight we're going to have a really good guest and an uh, interesting guest. Um, his name is Nelson Jones, and he's from Norwood, North Carolina. I do hope he calls in. I have, I have uh, numbers here. I'm not sure who they belong to yet. Um, and he, I just spoke to him. I think he's going to be calling in. So the telephone number here is 646-595-2118. That's 646-595-2118. And uh, he has a different story to tell than other people, which is all right. This is good. Um, I'm not going to read his bio. I don't do that. I let people tell their story their own way. I will tell you as much as this. He was abused as a child. And he says he would rather not speak too much about that detail. But he did go into a home. And it was her, as he puts it, bad kids group home. And uh, he was terribly abused there. Now, that's all I'm going to say, okay? Um, I have two numbers here. Let me see which one is his. Uh, Lori, I see that you're here. I'm very happy that you're here. Thank you, honey. Thank you. She's my co-host. And um, I have a, a 661 area code number, which I'm opening up their mic now. Who am I speaking to? This is Carol Levine. So. Is this Doug? Philip. Okay. It's Philip. Oh, Philip. Oh, well, that makes me very happy. Yes, it does. Me too. <laughs> I'm glad you're here. Okay, very good. Okay, let me go down to this 828 number. This may be our guest. I'm not sure. Nelson, is that you? It sure is. How's it going, Carol? Oh, it's going just fine. It's going just fine. Um, Nelson's going to be our guest tonight. Before we actually get into what he's going to speak about, I'm going to let him have the floor here, and he's going to speak as he wants um, and what he wants to say, um, and I'm glad he's here. I absolutely am. Now, thank you, um, thank you. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy you're here. Okay. Um, so anyway, well, let me read the uh, mission statement here, get that out of the way, and then we'll get into what you want to discuss. Okay. We have a singleness Sounds of good. purpose at Okay. We have a singleness of purpose at NASCA and that is to address issues related to childhood abuse and trauma, including sexual assault, violent or physical abuse, emotional traumas and neglect. 
and we do so two different ways. Number one is educating the public, especially as related to getting society over the taboo of discussing childhood sexual abuse. Um, presenting the facts that show child abuse to be a pandemic worldwide problem that affects everyone, and it does. Number two is offering hope for healing through numerous pairs and providing many services to adult survivors of child abuse and information for anyone interested in the many issues of involving prevention, intervention, and recovery. That's a big one with me. Is invent, it, it, the prevention part, we all have to work on that. That's something that's very, very big. And uh, some that I'll do a show just on prevention, intervention, and recovery. It's that important. So uh, what we're going to do now is I'm going to turn the floor over to Nelson. He is from Norwood, North Carolina, and he was abused as a child, but he doesn't really go and get into the details of that. He doesn't feel like that's really the main topic here. Um, a lot of us are abused as children. <laughs> We're all abused here on NASCAR, aren't we? Yes, we are. And and we all have our own stories to tell. So what I'm going to do is turn this over to Nelson and, and let him tell his story. Okay, you can start now. Go ahead. All right, thank you. Um, mm-hmm. So <clears throat> I had a lot of problems in my home life. Uh, my mother and father separated and I think that was a difficult thing for the whole family um I started to kind of keep to myself isolate it wasn't such a warm home when my father left the picture uh I had some difficulties with my mother and you know, a lot of them just come down to being a rebellious teen. I was smoking cigarettes when I really shouldn't have been. Um, I would hang out with the neighborhood kids late at night and stuff like that. But, you know, I really didn't feel like there was much wrong with me. Um, so eventually, I ended up in the juvenile justice system. Me and my mother had had a lot of just fights, bad fights. Um, I remember shoes being thrown at me, different things. Um, it wasn't a lot of fun. Nobody was having fun. We didn't have my sister there. We didn't have my father there. Um, so eventually this led me into a juvenile detention center called Gatlin. And uh, it was not the most hospitable place. Um, I've seen far worse and I haven't seen too many atrocities in Gatlin whatsoever, to be honest. But, um, when I started kind of heading into the youth homes picture, I'd say that was a completely different story. Um, the juvenile justice system, I had a probation officer and I had a social worker and, uh, Both of them were in pretty good touch with my mom, and it wasn't too long until I ended up at a three-month youth home, which was not a lot of fun. I kept hearing, you know, you'll never get out of there. You'll never go home. Um, It was very disheartening. Um, 
So I came home for a brief period, and there I was again, hanging out with my neighborhood friends, just doing whatever, and ended up at a place called Second Wind. And this was like a very intensive next step for children. Um, It was structured a lot differently than what I had been presented to in the past. It was it was run by the same oversight, Alexander Youth Network. And uh it was a terrible next step. Um at that time I had kind of redeveloped my relationship with my father, but he was distant and he had every reason and right to be, but I ended up there, and uh, the wool was just pulled over my eyes. Um, I got there. I didn't know what to expect. I was naive. Um, I remember just crying, crying, um, then forcing me to sign papers. I tried to leave. Uh, That really didn't work out well at all. But uh, it was not a very good place. Um, first and foremost, well, you can lay down, man, but, uh, it really was not a very nice place. Uh, sorry, I had an interruption. Um, I don't know where to start, even from square one, but I never wanted to be there. Um, and uh, I got over there. I could not leave. I was stuck there. Um, I would try to mail out letters to my father or my friends, and they would just get lost. Um Returning to my original thought, any time that you place bad children together, quote-unquote bad children, please don't read into that too much, um, and you don't have the proper oversight going on or a proper hospitable spirit, mm-hmm. it's really not the best place to be for anyone. Um for instance, my big problem was smoking cigarettes. I mean, that was about all I did. Should a 13-year-old child, or excuse me, 15, that was two years on, be smoking cigarettes? No, not at all. Um, but was it a real reason for them to hold me inside of a youth home? Nah, I don't think so. And so, of course, when you move into these facilities, you would transfer schools. Um you're going to different places and you would have to build up a new reputation. And it's very difficult to build up much of a reputation with anyone when you don't know anyone. Um, so I would kind of get tossed around. Um, It was not a lot of fun. I I dropped out of contact with very many close friends, and I would just do everything I could to try to stay in touch with them. But no, I mean, I couldn't make a single phone call on any day. 
Um, some of the things that I endured at that youth home, I had to be, I had to hold a position called a bookkeeper, which holding that position, it may mean more of, more or less a um, form of police over the other youth. And I really did not like that. I mean, at the time I didn't have much of a problem with it. It seemed like an easy job, but uh, at the end of the day, it kind of felt exploitative because um, they had all these rules, right? And they could make them on the fly. They had a system that they called point points, and you were supposed to have enough points. If you did not have enough points at the end of the week, you could not go home. Um, Mm -hmm. The whole group could be punished for one individual child's actions. Um, And the thing about the point system was, the points were always made on the fly. There was no specific point value for any sort of infraction. Um, so that didn't make a whole lot of sense. Well, I kind of felt bad. Looking looking back as an adult, I felt bad about the position that I occupied there. Um, and I would try to run away. And, uh, you know, I just didn't feel safe there. Um, there would be running down the streets, no go inside, but there's a bus. And, uh, you know, more or less, I'd just try to go back to my friends and family, and at every single point, I would end up deterred in some way, shape, or form. Of course, that's the juvenile justice system for you. But... um it really didn't feel fair at all to me. I had a loving father. He did have some mild drug abuse issues, but I think when you compare that to some of the things that were actually going on in my home and some of the experiences that I had to live through, it really does not stack up. Um, so while I was in that second one youth home, I was sexually abused through flashing by another client and um I was pushed down the stairs by a client. Um that was my first real injury. I broke my wrist and and then that was my introduction to pain medication. Um it was not a lot of fun. I just kept kinda of wondering what to do. Eventually, you know, I got mad. Um, I didn't know what to do. I was I was alienated from my father. I was told by a woman named Mary Chavis that uh, you know, I shouldn't even be calling my father. Um, I can't remember some of her other words, but most of them were not very kind. And uh, I remember uh, there was a guy that worked there, Bill R- Bill Rivera, um, him and. His friend, uh, wife, Chris, were like the lead teaching parents there. And um, at the time, I was going through all these abuses that were running rampant in the facility. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to get out. So all of a sudden, I decided to say, well, you know, Bill Rivera touched me. Well, that could that could go far. That could go very far, you know. 
Um, they sent in social workers and all kinds of things. Um, but, you know, he did not. He did not do that to me. Um, but he did make some strange comments, uh, such as I remember one day when he asked me, he he was explaining to my mother that it was strange that I slept with my clothes on. And uh, at the time, I didn't kind of understand the signs. I actually think, you know, they're, they're not all very appropriate. But, um, you know, that's kind of an interesting discussion to have with that man after my mother had already signed paperwork for me to be there. And, uh, just a difficult place. Um, eventually, let's keep going down this timeline. I got out. Um, I rebelled so hard that I had to get out. Um, there was no, there was not enough for them to say to keep me there as there was for a reason for me to go. And, uh, you know, I was told that the group that I came in with, that we were the worst children ever at second win. I guess that's something they say after you get Bill Rivera fired. But um, the the people that moved in after he was there, um, they were known as the Pokes. And they were actually pretty kind. I mean, they, they were a lot nicer than Bill and Chris ever were. Um, but it was eventually decided, you know, I returned home. I, I got back home and, uh, you know, my father, he was, he was a mess. He was a wreck. I didn't understand that at the time. He was, he was living with my grandfather and, um, well, I was so happy when I got to come back home with my father. It was excellent. Um, but it wasn't all that long after that, maybe about six months, things started to look a little bit different. I mean, my dad, he wasn't being himself. Um, he was giving away a lot of his favorite possessions. Um, we had all the warning signs there, but no one was quite intelligent enough to recognize it. He even said he was moving away. He even did something one day where, like, it was almost like a skit. It was, I I don't know what was going on with my father, but he pretty much laid down on the floor and pretended to be dead while we were having an argument. And, uh, I mean, I really just wish I would have known exactly what was going on. So... I had to leave from there. Um, my grandfather he couldn't take care of me. And uh, I had to go back to my mother and my stepfathers. And I didn't really know my stepfather. Um, my stepfather was... W- would you please excuse me for a moment? I have to use the restroom and I'll be right back. Okay, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, it's all right. It's okay. He's doing the best he can. He's having a little hard time with this. I can see that. Um, but he will be back. Okay, let me see something here. My phone is ringing on this side. I've got something going on here. Okay, I am. 
morning. A show. Later. Good grief. Okay. Maybe turn this phone off and keep to this one. I'll shut it off. That way I won't be disturbed. Um, this is a boy who was terribly abused in these homes, and that's why he was sleeping with his clothes on. Okay. And I, I think we as survivors, we know that. We absolutely do know that. So um, I'm just letting him take his time and, and let him come out with, you know, how he wants to say his story. Okay. 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 I'm sorry for that delay. That, that's all right. Um, it's okay. So I went to move in with my mother and stepfather. Of course, um, we attended the funeral. Me and my mother did at least. It was really sad event, but nonetheless, I went out over there, and things were not so happy. Um, I felt very constrained and limited. Um, It was almost like my parents were daring me to move out, even though I was only 16 years old. I mean, I didn't know how to work. I didn't know how to do anything. Um, So... We just kept getting into arguments. Um, we had a deal. I mean, I, I kind of made the compromise. Uh, well, somebody had to. I told my mom and my stepdad, hey, I mean, if I'm going to live here, you can at least buy me cigarettes. So <laughs> that worked out great. But that's <laughs> me. <laughs> but, uh, well, my stepdad was a really violent dude. Um Really, and uh, he would scream at me, yell at me, choke me, um, just so many things. And, you know, every single time the police were called, I had to leave. Um, I would get charged with misdemeanor assault, and there would be nothing done about him. Um, I had to go to jail all the time which interrupted my schooling and uh it wasn't a lot of fun um just not good times um it was hard because I thought like that I could never have a career because I didn't understand that misdemeanor charges are often overlooked and uh I just thought I could never really get a job. Um, so eventually, got me a job at Taco Bell. That didn't go so great. Um, problems just kept going on and on and on with me and my mother and stepfather. And uh, I'll tell you one time, very heinous example of the way that law enforcement can treat you. Um I, I was out of options. I didn't have no other choice. I didn't know what to do. So I contacted 911. I told them that my stepfather had molested me. It was completely untrue. But I had no other choice. I didn't know what to do. Because I knew if I didn't do something against them, they were going to call the police any minute, and I was going to go back to jail for pretty much nothing. I mean, what I would consider just a minor dispute. And... uh so I did that, and um, everything seemed all right. And then uh, 
the police got there and they did a very strange pat down. It was the Union County Sheriff's Office. Um, I mean, a little more than your normal pat down. And I ended up at the Union County Sheriff's Office where it would take me always. And I tried to kill myself. Um, eventually, they said no help. They didn't have you. Hold on a second, Nelson. They didn't have you on suicide watch at all, did they? Uh, when I, when I did the initial attempt, no. Though I was in you know like a booking area where I could be seen. Okay. Well, not so much. It's more like a hallway that guards occasionally pace. Mm-hmm. And uh, so then a mental health service worker comes in, social service, whoever she was. And uh, I just talked to her. I mean, I had a uh, normal conversation with her, what I thought, for a minor. And um, all of a sudden I was getting taken out of the jail into a hospital. And <laughs> they were prepared to release me. And um, maybe that's some things more intelligent minds can notice. I don't know, but I told him when I got to the hospital, I was like, look, I'm okay. I'm all right. I can be let out. Everything's okay. And I left and I was just walked back home and uh, ended up back at my parents' house in Monroe. And uh, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know where they were. Um, I'm pretty sure they didn't want me out of jail so fast. And, uh, mm-hmm. I just didn't, I was confused. I didn't know where where to go. So I ended up throwing a brick through their window. Um, and I, I wouldn't go that far. I don't believe I actually broke the window, but I believe I did damage the window. And uh, who knows? I believe I just damaged the window, but I'm unsure. And, of course, I was led directly to the homeless shelter. But um, maybe that's good intervention. I'm not sure. At least I didn't get arrested. But, uh... Well, you didn't need to go back. Hold on a second. Let's look at this for a minute. You didn't need to go back, okay, to a place where your stepfather was strangling you at times, slapping you, punching you around, and all this other stuff. It appears to me that at one point you were even defending yourself, okay? Because oh, yeah, I, I had to. I mean... I, yeah, well, I would have defended myself, too. <clears throat> I would have tried. Yeah. Um, okay. I had to, yeah. Um, and it was hard. Um, uh, I guess abuse gets what abuse gets, really. Um, I left him with some pretty heinous injuries at times. I remember one time he was restraining me waiting while we were waiting for the police to come. And I felt his testicles begin to graze my face. And so I wasn't sure quite what to do. And so I just lunged up and bit about as hard as I could. And he ended up running into the bedroom, locking the door. All of a sudden, I'm going to jail. Same old story. Well, I got out. And he, uh, he, uh, they actually paid for an attorney to get me out. I was talking with my public defender initially, and she, I was explaining my side of the story. And I'm like, look, this does not make sense. Why would I do that to my stepfather? 
what position would I have to be in to do that to my stepfather? And it sounded like we had a pretty good case. And eventually, yeah, I mean, my stepdad come over. He kind of shut stuff down. I went back home, business as usual. Um, but this was a pattern. And uh, there was another time where he was choking me. I could not breathe. And the one thing I could grab was a candle holder. And so I took that candle holder and... I jammed it back into his eye, um, smashed it, jammed it, whatever you want to say. I had to do what I had to do. And, of course, the police get there. He is, has an eye injury. I say he's choking me. I go to jail. Um, so eventually I didn't know what to do for money. I couldn't hold down a stable job. So I went into shoplifting and uh, – at the time, it seemed pretty easy. I mean, I was always breaking the law anyway, so I just started doing video games from Targets and Walmarts, and what I would do is I would take them to GameStops, and it was such such nervous pressure trying to get those discs out of those cases. Um, I, wouldn't, I would recommend no one ever try it, but... It's quite a tense feeling walking around that store. But um, eventually it got to the point where I was going to jail so, 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 so much. And I was getting caught so many times just by the target cameras. They have facial recognition software on them. So, you know, once I had been in the store, they could tell and the police could immediately go out and issue a warrant. So I kind of ran out of options. And I was sitting around. I was brainstorming one night. Uh, There was a lot of things I really needed to get done. I didn't have any insurance on my car. Um, I needed to support myself by any means necessary because whenever I would try to contradict my parents, they would take everything away. So... I winded up getting into prostitution. Um, I just kind of find found out that uh, it was big business. Um, it was not what I expected. Um, I didn't necessarily think it would be easy, but it was better money with less risk. And, I mean, you know, your chances of being caught at a Target are... A little less risky than, say, being caught at somebody else's dwelling. So it worked out really good for me. Um, To a degree, I really enjoyed it because it gave me a sense of control. And uh, I got to meet some amazing people. Really, I did. Um... You know, this is a the prostitution world, sex trade. It is, uh, you know, dominated by women, of course, and there's very little visibility for the male victim or even the male survivor. Um, and one thing that I find kind of that strikes a dynamic. 
with me within the community is I know a lot of people have suffered from genuine sex trafficking. Thank God I did not quite get there. But I hear so many... I hear about so many bad experiences um, that the females have had with certain individuals. And to me, it just never seemed that way because um, it was very accommodating. I mean, people treated me nice. I really enjoyed just having the conversations with some of the people. Um, To me, it was kind of less about the sex work, more about making the connection. And, you know, of course, then you could use that connection to propel you, in a sense, if that's your kind of lifestyle. So. It's grooming you. I mean, you do realize that. It is. It is yes, I do understand that. Um, there's a lot of grooming. Now, when I think of grooming, what I think of is, you know, like a pimp. I would not think of, like, an individual client as a groomer, though you're definitely correct. Um, these adults, they know that the child is vulnerable or the young man. I was I was never a child prostitute. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't get into that until I was 21 years of age. But, yeah, there was a lot of that. I mean, you come over, see a well-established person, and they'll offer you drinks and uh, – you know, um, if drugs are your thing, they and their thing. You know, they won't be so hard pressed in coming up with those, and it felt good. I mean, because at the least, when there was the utmost chaos going on within my life, there was always a solution. Um, maybe not a healthy one, but there was always a solution. Mm-hmm. So. uh I had some very bad experiences. Um, but probably the most horrifying, well, second most horrifying for me. I'll start with the first. Um, it was about 2017, the early spring. And... uh I had met this individual by the name of Jessica Brigitte Sigmund, and she had a massage table or chair or whatever she had. I've seen it. And uh, she also had, uh, there was a homeless individual that was living with her. I'm not sure exactly what the conditions were like when I was not there, but the relationship seemed very, very abusive. And... uh I went over the first time to meet her, and everything seemed great. Um, You know, as as a prostitute, you cannot date. You just can't. Um, Very hard to. I mean, you can't really date when you're doing all that if you want a healthy relationship. So... You know, it was kind of like everything I ever wanted, at least uh, how it seemed. I mean, I could have somebody that I could relate to, and we both did the same line of work, and we could share similar experiences. 
and um, we would just be best buds forever. And so the first time was really nice. Um, it's just very kind to me. Um, smoked a lot of cigarettes with her. It was a very casual time. And uh, everything seemed cool. And it was about maybe a week or two weeks later. didn't take that long. I wanted to see her again. So I went back over there. Um, But things were completely different. Um, While I was waiting on my ride to show up to get over there, she became very demanding. Um, she wanted me to get over there as fast as possible. And um, I tried. I mean, there I was having to rush my friends. And uh, it was a, once I got over there, it was a completely different experience from the first time. There was some very abusive things that she was doing. Um, it's kind of hard to remember. Every single bit of it, is, it only comes back to me in pieces, and the true horror is not always fully revealed until I sit down and think about it for a little more often. But um, she was psychologically manipulating me. Um, she said things such as, I'm your mother, and I'm your sister. And that, that woman is not kin to me, or... You know, I mean, she's not. Um, so she started saying things like somebody would come over the next day. And that to me was a red flag because I barely knew her. And I didn't know her friends, so why would I want to meet anybody that was coming over to her house? Um, she had bought a bag of clothing for me. I never requested any clothing. Um, I ended up starting to feel really scared and my red flags were going off. So, um, I decided to call my buddy to come back and pick me up. And once I started dialing his phone number, she was yelling out, Oh, I've cursed you. I've cursed you. You won't be able to reach him. But, uh, you know, uh, I still tried nonetheless, and eventually he woke up, and he was very angry that I was waking him up at about one in the morning, And um, but I told him, I said, look, I'm in danger, you need to come and pick me up, and I got off the phone, and she started trying to be really kind to me again, um, so well, it's not so bad, you can you know, stay here, and she started telling me, it was maybe before that, it's hard to remember the exact sequence of events here, but she told me that she was going to shoot me if I went out of her door, and she said that she had a shotgun, and that scared me, Um, there I was all alone, you know, and so she kind of laid me down on the bed and 
she started performing oral sex on me. And I really didn't want it. Uh, it was really nasty the way that she did it. And uh, I didn't realize how nasty I felt until the next day. I couldn't understand what what was, you know, what was so wrong. Um, I ended up developing post-traumatic stress disorder from this whole sequence of events. Um, but it, it it took me a little while to kind of get the whole pieces to click. Like, I didn't understand why she was saying, I'm your mom, I'm your sister. You know what I mean? And to me well, that... Let me stop you there. Me let me stop you there. Nelson, let me stop you yes. there. Okay. You okay, probably okay. look. You had you had a very good time with her, you know. For you know, if you talked to her, she was giving you smokes, um, you know, and you had a good time with her at first. You thought she was cool, all these things, and all these other people that you're speaking about, they were treating you nicely. You see, this is how they can groom you. Now, now I'm not speaking about this lady. I think she was nuts. Now, with the the other people, they were grooming you, and you needed to hear the words that they were saying to you. Because you never had any love at home, okay? You never had nice words even said to you at home. And you had a stepfather, for God's sake, that tried to kill you. So then you get in with this lady who is treating you uh, at the first time much, you know, the same, you know, nicely, nicely, you know, like the rumors were doing. And then she, too, turns against you. And your mother, you had probably spoken maybe a little bit about your mother and stepfather, whatever, because that's what people do. And um, so then she was using that. She was using that on you. Did you ever see the shotgun? I did not. Yeah, she may not even have had that. Um, but That's she what was, I understand. was trying to. Yeah, she was trying to intimidate you. I want to see yes, if, if it Lori. Was... Honey, let, let me. Okay. You know, we have a panel here. Okay, um, I'm going to let them ask one question. Because I don't want anything to interrupt your real train of thought here and where you can actually come forth with, uh, and then you have good things to talk about at the end, too. These, I have them written down, um, the places you're involved with uh, working with people. Okay, um, Lori, you're at the top of the list. Is there something you'd like to, to say to Nelson? Um, first off, I'm sorry I had to go for that. It's horrible. And- you know, uh, very, very violent, more than a lot of people that I've heard of. And if anybody could do it over again, I think you do. You owe, are owed a repeat because nobody should have gone through that. Um, my question to you is, after all that you've gone through and knowing how hard it is to come out of it and then start on another trail, which you're on. I mean, I haven't heard it yet, but I know you're doing other things. My question is, do you realize that from everything that you were doing, that you're now on a life mission to change things for future people, bring them out, um, you know, do something that, Maybe they can get out or even go get more education for yourself so you can go further um, and do this mission 
that you were, like I said, chosen for? That's my question. Definitely. Um, You know, I, I feel like that is where the real healing begins um there was there was simply no way to heal um i was alone um but when i seen things from that other perspective and i seen exactly how bad it could possibly get it gave me a real sense of empathy um it changed the way that i thought about that whole lifestyle because, um, you know, it had all been sugar and cookies up to that point. So I started out over in Morganton, and I decided to hold a sign for an awareness project called Project No Rest. And what they do is they share information about vulnerable youth and missing individuals in the hopes that they can be found before they are trafficked. Um, so I had just seen that on the TV, you know, and I knew a little bit about it from browsing the web. And uh, I said, well, that's a good place to start. So I just held a sign out in Morganton for Project No Rest, um, just something silly that I made. And uh, I felt so good. It felt like the best day of my life. And uh, it was very, uh, very joyful. Um, so I kept that dream alive. I kept pushing. Um, I ended up in North Wilkesboro which was a very good place, one of the best places I've ever been. Um, I would consider it the most hospitable place in North Carolina, as far as I know. And um, life was good. Uh, Sadly, I ended up having to leave. Um, Housing arrangements weren't working out. And... I had nobody to pick me up but one of my old clients, so there I went. And he was kind enough to not approach me, even though he admitted that he would like to, which I understand. But, I mean, respect goes a long way. So everything seemed okay. Um, didn't quite know what to do. What am I going to go do? You know, so... I ended up at uh, a bar, and I figured if I hung out long enough, I would find someone to kind of take me under their wing, and uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I found two gentlemen who did not mind waking me up in the middle of the night to fillet me, so... Yeah, that didn't work out. But we'll continue on to better news. So mm-hmm. things worked out. I got back home. Um, I ended up checking out a nonprofit called Vigilante Truth. And I won a little contest through them. And it made me so proud. I got a T-shirt um, and a little bit of highlights of my efforts. So that was awesome. Um 
it really sparked something inside of me to keep moving forward. Um, I got this odd thought one day. I really did not like the things that I had accumulated through my sex work career. So I began to burn them. I was on my own porch. I didn't see why. Burning things on your own porch was such a crime. I mean, I lived in a brick house. Uh, I ended up getting charged with first-degree arson. And, yeah. um, So, yeah, there I was, back in jail. And they took my DNA. Um, I was scared, so scared. Um, sat in there for a year. I thought my dreams were ruined. Uh, what am I going to do now? I'm facing seven years in prison. Uh, but I didn't give up hope. Um, I didn't take the plea deal. And for a very good reason. And eventually... My mother was able to pay an attorney to get me out of jail. I ended up pleading to misdemeanor burning of a woodland. And I was very relieved, very relieved. Um, so there was a free man. And it was I, – I, I had had a year to kind of sit inside and reflect on myself and – uh in that process, I was able to break a lot of my worst habits. Um, I didn't have so many vices once I left. And uh, I got kind of my vision clear while I was in there. And I said, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to get out, and I'm going to give every single thing I can to go against human trafficking. I knew I could amp up the volume somehow. I just didn't quite know which way it would be. So uh, I decided, I looked around on Facebook, um, and I noticed, you know, there are so many different ways to connect, um, and there's so many different human trafficking initiatives that you can learn about. So uh, I began to make a lot of friends. I began to network a lot. Uh, It made me very happy um, when you see people that are kind of in the same field as you and you see their results and you see people they know's results and on and on and on. It's a very motivating thing. Um, So while I was in on that arson charge, my grandfather passed away. And it broke my heart because I really just wanted to make my grandfather proud before he passed away. And I knew I couldn't make him proud in jail. I had an urge to give him a call. And uh, I didn't get to. I tried. And it didn't go through. Or actually, no. I I hung up the phone because at that point, I didn't want to bother my grandfather anymore. Um, 
So my grandpa passed away, and thankfully he left me with a very nice inheritance. And I kind of got my vision clear, and I decided to launch my Trafficking Insights platform that I use on Facebook to spread awareness. And I made some initial merch to go along with that and ran some initial ads, and uh, everything worked out pretty good. I kicked it off with a big pizza party over at the Norwood Park, and that was so much fun, um, just to be able to get back to the community in general. And it was a very fun event. Um, I was able to collect some donations for some other organizations within the state. Um, Nowadays, I'm picking things back up full speed, I do interviews with survivors. Um, To me, it's very important. It's very, very important for the survivors to have the voice. The survivors should dictate the movement, always. Um, And sadly, there are not so many people who even want to give survivors a voice. Um, And that's sad. Um, So I like to share that space for those who would like to have it and uh, I think that's a good thing I do prefer verified cases so mine remains unverified so you know I don't discriminate um, as a survivor of the trauma and whatnot I understand how quickly one's mind might jump to conclusions and how the details can get skewed within a sea. Um, so I don't, you know, any any time that I hear about a survivor, I, I take their words at face value. Do I throw it too far? Well, not always, but I'll, I'll always hear somebody out. Um, so I try to provide that. Um, I assist other. Nonprofits were doing a lot of things. Um, volunteer with several organizations. My personal favorite is in our backyard. Um, what they do is they have freedom stickers, and uh, what a freedom sticker is, it has the phone number for Polaris, the National Human Trafficking Hotline. So if you were to see a victim in distress or, say, a not-so-reputable area, you can distribute these stickers. And hopefully that reaches the true victims. Um, You know, in our backyard specifically instructs you to leave stickers at gas stations. Um, That is definitely not the only place you can leave a sticker. me, if, if I go to a gas station, I put the sticker on the gas pump because a victim is going to be much more likely to see a number on a gas pump than they are in a gas station restroom, mm-hmm. which is where they advise you to place them. So um, there's no bad place to place them, actually, because the human trafficking sad reality of it is it happens right in front of our faces and so many people just only believe the myth that they don't see it for the full scope that it is of course we have sex trafficking we have labor trafficking 
um, for instance, Memorial Day weekend. Um, I had nothing better to do with my holiday. I was feeling motivated. So I decided to drop by some hotels in my local area. And uh, I said, well, let me just put the Freedom Stickers on all of them. So I did. And there was one that gave me a particular hassle. And that was, that is the hotel that is by the Walgreens in Albemarle. I believe it's the best quality inn. I'm not sure, but it's one of the worst quality inns I've ever seen. Because I went there to distribute Freedom stickers. I did see a maid. Um, I'm not so sure if she's labor trafficked. It looked like a maid. It may not have been. It may have been a foreigner. Um, we can't discriminate based off of clothing. But... The highlight of this experience was I got done distributing my Freedom Stickers across the hotel, and I was going towards the front, and an individual stopped me. And he asked me, hey, man, you got anything? I said, uh, or no, he asked me if if I was looking for anything. So I said, well, what do you got? And... He said, well, uh, I'm going to have to trespass you from the property. You're not allowed to be here. I'm looking at him. I'm like, well, who is this guy? Uh, I mean, he could be anybody. You know what I mean? So I said, well, let me talk to the manager. And I walked into the hotel. And I go to knock on the manager's door to ask to speak to the manager. And uh, this man is telling me that I can be charged with armed robbery for knocking on the manager's door. Uh, I'm sorry. That sounds like the world's most frivolous offense to me. <laughs> so um, they ran me off, and he said he took a photo of my license plate, and uh, I assume I was essentially trespassed. That's all well and good with me. But um, you look at a hotel. Well, hotels, if you did not know, are the breeding grounds for human trafficking. I mean, you get a victim in a hotel room. They are forced to work in a hotel room. They don't They don't have the capabilities to go get a job or the methods of transport or anything. So there they are. They're in that hotel room. They're isolated. And who are they going to reach out to? There's already an abusive person there trying to take control of them, you know what I mean? So it can be very cornering inside of a hotel. Um, and my personal beliefs on this are if if a hotel does not want you to distribute freedom stickers then they are completely complicit with human trafficking happening at their establishment and that's just not cool no it's not it's not you know i'm thinking while you're speaking thank you for you know talking in there Lori. um and I'm going to go down to Philip in a second. In fact, let me go to Philip, and then I'm going to come back to something that you just said. Philip, um, is there some question you want to ask or something you want to say? Um, I don't know how you did it because I don't know if I can do a tough life like that. But I hope things yeah. are better for you. Yeah. Oh, it's, man, it's there, very... there ain't nothing tough about it. There really ain't. I mean, you know, it's just my life. 
Um, I celebrate it for everything it is, you know. Um, I was <laughs> if I did not have the fight against trafficking within my life, I would feel nothing. Uh, and it means something to me because there are vulnerable individuals out there everywhere, and if no one is doing anything about it, then what's going to change? Nothing. So that was kind of my initial slogan that I began with. Please no one copyright this. It would be very heinous. But ending human trafficking begins with you. And uh, that's how I feel about it. You know, um, if you're not doing anything, no one's going to stop it. If you're not being the motivation, no one's going to care. So it's very pivotal that anybody that feels any compassion towards the cause or any sympathy for human trafficking victims get themselves involved Um, because, I mean, it takes a little bit of courage, but your actions will end up stirring up a lot more than you ever thought possible. That's right. That's right. I mean, today, what they're they're doing, like at Super Bowl time, okay, Um, when they have that, the Super Bowl, um, they have. They're starting to train taxi cab drivers. They're trying to, tra- you know, train people in um, in hotels, the good hotels. Okay, what signs to look out for, and they leave things in in the ladies' room, um, you know, where they can uh, a number. If, you, if you're being trafficked out, you call this number. Um, there are different things that they're trying to do today. The FBI is the one that is actually working, you know, in this field. I'm not too happy with the FBI, but we won't go there right now. <laughs> but, you know, um, yeah. But, you know, the, for a long, actually for the last five years, they've been trying to uh, educate people, okay, to to know what trafficking looks like. You go to the airports, right? You go to the airports, and uh, you're about ready to take off. You see a guy with a, a kid. Uh, maybe the child is dressed too sexual. She's not dressed appropriate, okay? And she ha- doesn't have her ticket. She doesn't have any of her paperwork, nothing. He holds on to it. They don't make eye contact, and they look scared because they are scared and every right to be scared. Now, this is something that they, uh, when they were, you know, doing what they were supposed to do, um, they were, tra- they were, you know, actually training people, um, you know, and, and even over at the airports, uh, that's a perfect place, too, is the airports. A lot of the kids get taken out of the country. You have kids that are brought into the country, okay? It's a, it's a back and forth. So um, it, what a better thing to do than to train to staff. If you see if you see something, say something, because chances are you're right. There might be a, a problem here. So what you're doing, I mean, I have your information in front of me, and uh, like you volunteer um, in, in the place called In Our Backyard, you were discussing that. And then also outreach director at uh, Shannon's, I can't read my own writing, Shannon Speaks, um, CEO at Trafficking Insights. You've studied at uh, U.S. Institute Against Human Trafficking. You're certainly doing the very best that you can to educate yourself and to be involved. Now, you just said if you don't do something, then nothing happens. And, and you're doing that, okay? So I applaud you for that. I applaud you for that. 
Now, all of your depression and all the things that you're going through in your life is what you've been through. You went from place to place to place to place to place. And a lot of times you would go back home because even though there was all these things going on with your stepfather, it was home. You were trying to, in your mind, find a home, a place. I have a home. And you would go back there. And um, so that's that's just normal. See, this is what people do. I ran away. I know what it's like. And I went back home, okay? Um, because even though it was very bad at home, um, still in all, I think I wrote you a little something, too. You know a little bit about me. Okay, so even though it was very bad at home, I still wanted to go home because we wanted to be accepted. Okay, we want to be accepted. Not all parents are meant to be parents, okay? It's as simple as that. So what many times we make mistakes, and what you got into uh, was actually sort of like a salvation for the future of what you're going to become because you have here listed – you know, all the places that you are in touch with and that you do work with off and on. So you're well on your way. You're a collaborative partner at Child Rights Center, CNLU, okay? So there's a lot of things that you're doing and have done, and I hope that you keep on that route because who better um, to speak about child abuse, say, than a person who's been through it, okay? And in your case, with the trafficking and all this other stuff that you were involved with, who better to uh, know the signs of it, how to educate people, and, and how to train people, and, and to do presentations, to speak out, okay, so that people do become more involved, hopefully someday with that as well. So your efforts are yes, good. Yes, yes. They're Thank good. you, and okay. um, that means something to me. I really do appreciate it. Um, yeah, and um, while we're talking about efforts, I couldn't even finish this podcast without mentioning Bob's House of Hope. Now, I've yet to see this place with my own two eyes, but mm-hmm. it is actually the very first shelter in the nation for sex-trafficked young boys. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that is such a pivotal thing to have it's very needed um means a lot to me really it does um and texas in general i've been to dc okay that was number one that's number one for human trafficking in our nation statistically texas is number two and um there are so many great initiatives that I've seen come out of Texas, uh, Hands of Justice, um, and I applaud them for actually having a male survivor group now. Um, it's needed. Um, you bet. There shouldn't be any territory among us, any former sex worker or trafficked individual, but um, it's very needed that we have these spaces for men because there's just a little bit of a divide between the two ways of looking at things. Like I can't very much relate to any of the experiences of a trafficked female. Um, I'll I'll hit you with one. Mm -hmm. Kind of hard for me to digest. Okay. They Mm -hmm. say, um, 
there's some people within this industry that are so quick to state any trafficking-related event or sex work-related event is rape. Um, I can't say I agree with that narrative. I could see how some some would feel that way, definitely. I definitely can. Um, but that was not the sort of lifestyle that I had. But I'll tell you some things, you know. Um, I've seen it from the other side, too. Um, I've seen... I seen one of my poor best friends having oral sex performed on him while he was asleep. And that disgusted me because I was the one who allowed it to happen. Terrible. Just terrible. Um sorry, well, you know, just there's, there's two Go ways on. of looking at this. Okay, let me say something here because there's two ways of looking. Remember, kids who were trafficked out, I was kidnapped All right, when I was a kid. I was kidnapped and raped, and so was Bill. Bill was held for 14 days. Um, the guy that had me and, and 14 other kids, um, actually he was to rape and then drop off. That's what he did, rape and drop off. You know where you live, he dropped you off. Okay. And uh, his, he, he would go from school to school to school. Now, there was nothing. That, see, here's the difference. Here's the fine line here. Um, those of us who are kidnapped and raped and taken away and, and uh, you know, and all this other stuff that we go through and then drop back off, this, of course, is against our will. You were looking for something, and, and you'd already gone through an awful lot of things. That's why you were sleeping with your clothes on. Okay, I get it, all right? Um what you uh, went through, this was against your will. This is not what you wanted, okay? But then you saw um, something in it where it became a way of life for you, okay? It became a way of life. So then at that point, it wasn't really against your will. It was a way of life. Now, you didn't have any life before you got into this. The groomers got a hold of you. And they made what you were doing look, um, you know, not to be normal, but to be exciting and, and acceptable and, and, and all this other stuff and pleasurable and, and all the things that go along with it. And you were able to make money, okay? You were able to make money. You had gotten in trouble as a juvenile delinquent. I used to work in juvie. Hello. <laughs> they committed uh-huh. adult crimes. <laughs> the kids, they, they, they committed adult crimes. They had cops all over the place. But anyway, um, those kids came many times from backgrounds. I mean, they all did. I did, too. Everyone on this show came from backgrounds that were horrific. Okay? So when you come from a horrific background, the stories may not be the same. But when you come from a horrific background, it's going to affect you psychologically, mentally, emotionally, every way that, and spiritually. So what you're doing uh-huh. now today, since you've been all down through that route, okay, what you're doing down today is you're finding a way to get yourself into society where you'll be highly regarded and respected and listened to because you had no voice during the time of childhood either. Okay. You had no voice. So when we find their voice, each and every one of us, we the survivors, 
um, were used in all different ways, like Lori was saying, okay? Um, and during this time, it was almost like a process, which you also said, of things that you had to go through, you had to go through to get to where you are today, where now your mind is thinking, you know, okay, you just said, you came up with a mark where you didn't think it was really that bad. Well, again, you weren't taken against your will. You sort of like slid into it, okay? So that's different than a child who is kidnapped and raped and, and goes through terrible PTSD. Your PTSD came from that woman who was saying your mother and all this other stuff. And then also, too, what happened to you in the group home, and that was why you slept with your clothes on, okay? We get it. We've been there. Kids who who are sexually abused, many times they they overdress, even if it's 90 degrees out, Okay. Um, women will will dress ugly so that men don't look at them if they were terribly abused by men. And and guys, um, they'll just act strange and different and, and do, you know, weird type things. And um, and also, like at bedtime, because you were in a situation where you had been sexually abused, you slept with your clothes on. So that just falls right into it. So you see, on the psychological level, everything that you did all makes sense. It makes sense. What makes even better sense, though, today is the fact that you want to be someone who's a good person, you, and you know the difference, okay, of right from wrong, and you want to help save children so that they don't get taken out of their backyards, so um, they don't get taken while they're walking down the street and, and trafficked it out. And as far as the um, uh, the motels that you were speaking about, that's Herman's, uh, human servitude, and, and where they go in and they, they put the, the people in there, they make them work, and they get pennies, all right, and, and uh, they're being used in, in a prostitute type of way, okay? And many times they're from different countries, and other times they aren't from, you know, different countries, but they're put in that to work in those motels. So, see, I've yes, a lot I of research. Yeah, I've done a lot of research on all this stuff, so I, I know what I speak. And so, you see, where you are now today is in a better place, okay, than what you were in years ago because your mind is starting to realize, hey, I want to be a helpful person. I want to, I want to teach people. I want to become an example. But one of the best things that you could do is to definitely, you know, tell your story. Because with people listening to your story, they see, too, you know, how this can happen. Um, not that what, you know, taking children or, or trafficking children out is never a good thing, ever, ever, ever. But they can see how you could slide into it because you had had problems with Walmart. <laughs> and and uh, what was the other one? Target. Oh, yeah, Target, Target. <laughs> okay. There I were three. Two. How can we not mention Kmart? <laughs> right, right. Okay, there you go. So, all right. So, um, if there's reasons for what you did is what I'm saying. And where you're at today is a better place, and I want you to do better. We all want you to do better. And by being in, in touch with these organizations and working with them, you can be an example. Okay, this is how it was. This is the type of home I came from. 
Um, this is what happened to me during my life. And during all that trauma, that's PTSD, everything that you went to with your stepfather trying to kill you, strangle you, all this other stuff, your mother being cold and, and abusive in her own way, and, and all the people you came in contact with that were, um, you know, the, the homes that you were in, okay, some were friendly, some cared, some didn't. This all does something to a child, and it does something to your life. So, okay, now you're at a good point in your life. Now, let me ask you something. Um, you like the backyard. In our backyard, I think probably the best out of the ones that I have written down here. Um, I could be one. There might be another one. But what happens exactly in that um, organization? Talk a little bit about that. Um, well, my side of it is mainly the sticker distribution program. Um they also hold a lot of, say, walks, things like that. Those are empowering if you can walk for a cause. Um, they did release that book on trafficking, which I'm sure is a good read, but I have not yet had the chance to read it. Um, but I think a lot of them just because it's such a simple initiative that anyone could do, and you never know who that sticker is going to reach. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you use the sticker system. That's with uh, with that organization. I think that's a good idea. In fact, I've even heard of that. Okay, I have heard of that sticker, and I've heard about at the gas pumps and the gas stations. And I know that some gas stations don't want um, those stickers there. I remember reading about that. Yes, um, and then others allow for it. And certainly I would hope more would allow for it than those that don't allow for it because it makes common sense. You're trying to help someone, okay? Um, I've yes. seen that. And um, mm-hmm. another thing I'd like to add is we can't just think of hotels and airports, right? the common things, as human trafficking sites. Um, take, for instance, you got a casino. There are people in there drinking. Surely there are beautiful women. There's plenty mm-hmm. of ways to spend your money. There are drug dealers there. You know, I mean, surely there's trafficking going on inside of that environment. Um, you talk about the Super Bowl. Um, any big sporting event, any big event, that's that's one reason why I went to the hotels on, on Memorial Day. Um, you know, some consider Memorial Day, and it is, to be a holiday for our fallen soldiers. I would say let's extend that on to our living soldiers too. They they deserve that much respect at least. But nonetheless, to me Memorial Day, I mean every holiday can kind of take on its own personal significance. And so uh, for me on a Memorial Day, you know we we should remember those lost to trafficking and those people that gave their personal efforts and we no longer have them with us. Mm-hmm. Um. So that's kind of why I spent my holiday that way. But going on, we got casinos, we got um, any big sporting event. Um, of course, the holidays bring in an influx of travel. Excuse my little pit bull here, but <laughs> they uh, any big event where there is a mass of people and a whole a lot of different kinds of people congregating. It's going to be a breeding ground for human trafficking. 
You got the sponsors right. there. You got people wanting to spend money. You got the women there. You got the pimps there. It may not be mm-hmm. right out in front of your eyes, in front of your face, but if you look around, if you pay attention, you can surely see the signs. You see, now I've done shows on human trafficking. A lot of us on NASCAR have done that. But to have someone who's been a part of that or, you know, slid into it, whichever way you want to put it, or, you know, in, in other people's cases, maybe were, were kidnapped and all, all of a sudden they disappeared, didn't they? And there's a lot of kids that disappear, okay? Um, you know, it's it's good to have someone like you on who has actually been a – I don't, I don't want to say been a part of it. I don't look at it that way, um, but experienced it, okay, and how you got into that. And um, because it makes people to understand a, a little bit better, okay, um, many of us have horrific lives, many of us. Um, a lot of us try to commit suicide. I tried when I was 17, and I, it would have gone through, except a friend of mine came home early from a date. I didn't expect her back, and she caught me. <laughs> so, mm. you know, a lot of us have gone down that route, too. You know, we have our scars. You know, we have our scars. So... So what what I'm what I'm trying to get across here to people are you talking to your dog or someone? <laughs> Who are you talking uh, my to? uncle came in here to help with the dog. Oh, okay. I believe we're gonna watch a little smack down here after a while. <laughs> so anyway, um you you ran a you know, it was a good show. I'm glad you decided to come on, Nelson. Okay. And and keep in oh, touch with you, us so I- we been so happy yeah. to be here. Well, you can you can listen anytime, or you can come on. You know, and um, another thing too is all these places that I have a list of here, um, studied at uh, U.S. Institute. I looked that up right before the show. Studied at Institute um, U.S. Institute Against Human Trafficking. I did look that up um, just to see exactly what that was. Um, I mean. You know, you have certainly put out all kinds of feelers for a place maybe to belong and and maybe even stay. It's good that you get involved with all these different places because then you can have your own idea which one you like best. And and, uh, maybe you can be really a a heavy-duty person who's involved, you know, with one of these organizations, and that would be great, okay, because you know you, you have firsthand knowledge of what it's like to be you know, with traffickers, you have that knowledge. And like Lori said way back when, you can take that knowledge that you have and you can use it to help kids and, and places that you go to because you have the first, you know, you have it right there. You have the knowledge of it. Yes. And so, um, if you're mm-hmm. not, if you don't have any sort of education on human trafficking, I definitely recommend the U.S. Institute. Um, they have all kinds of trainings you can do, and that leads to a certification and, um, you know, pick up a few things along the way. Sooner or later, you're educating your community. Um, there's no wrong place to start, and that's Mm -hmm. what I, I really want to stress about my story, because if I listened to the people who doubted, I never would have got anywhere at all. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, so many people are so quick to run you off from ambition or a goal. And uh, mm-hmm. to me, I just don't understand those sorts of people. 
Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think because of all that you went through, you're on a mission, okay? See, we at NASCO, we're on our mission. It's the same thing, a mission to teach about, you know, child abuse, and that, that's a broad spectrum. There's all different kinds of ways you can abuse a child. You know that. So that's why we say physical, mental, emotional, sexual neglect, okay, in the mission statement. And, um, you know, so there's all different kinds of ways that children do get abused. And if we keep our mouths shut, we're the survivors, just like you're a survivor. You may not realize it, but you're a survivor, all right? So if you keep your mouth shut and you don't talk about it, then people don't learn about it, okay? I agree. Um, I feel feel that any survivor of abuse needs to be the person who stands up because, you know, nobody else will. We're the most educated about these topics. Um, We should have the voice at the end of the day. We should have the voice. Um, Whatever cause you're passionate about, be it child abuse, human trafficking, whatnot, um, It's it's very important if you're passionate about it to do it because you will be that drive that inspires the next person. That's right. That's exactly right. And you see, you know what to look for. You know the red flags because you've lived it, okay, when it comes to yes. abuse and also with the trafficking. You were a part of it. You lived it. So you have a lot to offer. Yeah, you do. Thank you. I, I feel the same way. Also, I'd like to say um, one of my biggest personal projects at the moment, I'm actually in the process of designing a video game um, to spread human trafficking awareness. And um, I'm trying to come up with how I'm going to exactly divide these proceeds. Um, I'm thinking that I'm going to try to find – a really good nonprofit that I could donate a percentage to mm-hmm. once the project is finished. And um, everything's open for inclusion. You know, you're doing something about trafficking, you want to get involved, you can message me on Facebook. I'm Nelson Jones. You can find me on the Facebook page, Trafficking Insights. Look out for me in your various support groups and groups for your local communities. Um, it's not very hard to reach me, and I do believe um, – we need to make this more of a collaborate, collaborative effort for everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone deserves their voice in the movement against trafficking. Everyone, um, we all have such powerful truths to speak. And if we don't talk about them, no one else will. And I believe that we more or less, in the in the field against human trafficking, I think very many are doing a very good job and we all need to be recognized in the best possible ways for that. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I agree with that. Human trafficking, um, I don't have my stats in front of me right this second because I I do, um, like I said, I've done presentations on it in uh, universities and so forth. Um, But I don't know exactly how many are trafficked out yet this year in in the United States alone. But I do know this, that the number is growing, okay? And um, a lot of it's from the border. A lot of it's from, you know, I mean, it's just all over the place. And it was bad before, and now it's even worse. So it's something that has to be dealt with, not 
don't turn your back on it. You know, work with it, learn about it. And you never know what you're going to see. You know, I'm talking to the people here now. You never know what you're going to see out there. Learn the red flags of, of how children behave, you know, when they're being trafficked out. They don't make eye contact. They may not be dressed properly. Um, they may even appear dirty. Or um, And they, 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 they are scared children. They're frightened. They don't know what's going to happen to them next. They don't know where they're going, okay? This isn't a joke. This is a part of our, our being. This is a part of our life. It doesn't matter what country you're in. Well, I'll sit the United States right now because it goes in and out of the airports constantly. Kids going in and out. Kids going in and out, in and out. It's terrible. And they're not always just our children. A lot of times they bring in children from other countries that I do know. So our show is over, okay? And, Nelson, I want to thank you again, you know, for coming on. Keep up with your efforts. Um, feel free to call in. Let us know how you're doing with the, all your projects that you have. And, um, you know, we're here for you, okay? Thank you so much. I really do appreciate that. It's always a good time with NASA. NASCA, no. did I pronounce that correctly? I'm sorry about that. Well, listen here. You did a fine job. You did a fine job, okay? And I'm proud thank of you. Thank you, thank you. Okay. Thank you. Okay. All right, everybody, come back on Monday night. We'll have another show. I'm Carol Levine. I'm vice president of NASCA. And um, I'm just telling you that we have really good shows during the course of the week where we all teach each other, we all support each other. And... Um, So have a good weekend, good night, and God bless. Night. Good night. Good night, everybody. Good night. Good night. Love Talk Radio.